Another podcast, and this is one of our favorite off-season ones. We're going to talk about the depth chart, offense and defense today. Usually we do one at a time, but we're just going for it. We're sending it straight through. I love some depth chart analysis, Mike. You know that. This is my favorite time of year for the fact that no one really knows. We haven't had fall camp. All these guys have been doing is getting in the weight room, getting big. Um, but for some reason, we all think we are qualified to determine who's going to start and why. And so it's never really rooted in truth, but I love debating it. Yeah, it's true. It's just great speculation. Um, and, and by the way, if you, if you at this point are listening to this podcast and you didn't check out our three-part schedule preview, you should go back and download those. We had a lot of fun. I'm not going to say what our predictions were but they did differ a little bit. We did have a different prediction on the Michigan game, so you're going to have to go check that out. But, yeah, let's, we'll start with the easy one, and we'll start with quarterback. And, Nate, if you're going to give this position a, a grade, it's A-plus plus for the starter, and it's about C-minus-minus minus to D-minus for the backups. I mean, I, I'm, I'm so afraid of a Justin Fields injury right now. Yeah, man, I can't wait to, to see old Gunnar Hoke out there starting for the Buckeyes. No, I'm just totally kidding. Uh, yeah, I, this position group, I would put it a C probably. Um, I think you're right. Justin Fields has got to be the guy who's starting. But after that, I don't know. Gunnar Polk is a Kentucky backup transfer, and Chris Chuganoff is a West Virginia backup transfer. Um and Justin Fields likes to run the football. So I'm I'm very concerned. I think, like you said, this one is in the bag. It's going to be Justin Fields under center. But still a lot of concerns there um, with this position group. Yeah, and especially, like, depending on how we utilize Justin Fields. Like, I would argue the way that Dwayne Haskins played last year, we essentially had him in bubble wrap. Outside of the Maryland game where he had, I think, 17 or 20 carries, he was hardly ever touched um, and really wasn't in a position to get injured. But Justin Fields, more of the JT Barrett mold, he's going to be mobile. We're going to run him a lot. And obviously there's always a fear that, you know, we're going to need a, a capable backup quarterback. Because in the JT Barrett era, we had Cardell Jones for the national championship run. And then also, if you remember a few years ago against Michigan, we had Dwayne Haskins step in and play pretty well. So we needed a capable backup to win those critical games against Michigan. And I'm just afraid that, you know, Ryan Day, despite being as good of a quarterback whisperer as he is, uh, this, this position group has me very scared. And I'm not going to enjoy the entire year having anxiety, uh, you know, every time Justin Fields goes down. And it's Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm with you, Mike. I am plenty nervous uh, about – yeah, about this season and that position, it, it feels too like, and, and I don't know why this is, but Justin Fields feels a little bit more like a Braxton Miller than a J.T. Barrett. It's almost like J.T. Barrett, his body was designed to get hit a whole bunch and, and like, withstand it. 
I don't, I mean, this is rooted in literally nothing. I just don't feel the same type of way about Justin Fields. Do you, do you feel that or am I just being crazy? No, I agree. I think he's probably more of the Braxton Miller type where, uh, you know, Braxton Miller had a lot of close calls over the years where, you know, he would get tackled rough out of bounds and he'd be down and then the entire shoe would be silent. Uh, you know, those, those memories are very rooted in my head because they were, they were very traumatic at the time. Uh, and, and I think that's kind of what we might see from Justin Fields. Um, so I will say uh, maybe Chris Truganov and, and maybe Gunnar Hogue end up being capable. But I think if I'm Ryan Day, I'm spending extra attention to the backup quarterbacks and making sure they're capable to at least save a game if Fields were to go down. Yeah, I I, I think that they could win against bad teams but I don't have the kind of faith that I did when Kenny Guy, you know, was under center. I guess I'll put it at that. Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, let's go with the running back position. We, we kind of lost some of the guys in our cover from last year. Mike Weber uh, to the NFL, and then also Brian Sneed transferred out of the – well, was he dismissed or, for, or transferred? I feel like he kind of – that was kind of – he's at a community college now. What happened to him? He was like a sexual assault thing. That's a great question. Let me do some quick research on that. I don't want to slander his name at all, but I'm pretty I'm pretty sure I remember him that he had some kind of investigation for sexual assault. Transferring to Iowa Western Community College. Um, yeah, it says here former Ohio State running back Brian Steen was dismissed from the university in November following a university investigation for sexual assault. So. Uh, you know, good riddance to him, regardless of that outcome. He wasn't really that much of an impact player. But we have J.K. Dobbins leading the charge. We still have Master Teague and Demario McCall as backups here. Do you think J.K. Dobbins can kind of take the full load of being a a running back and getting 20 to 25 carries, or are we going to have to see a lot of Teague and Demario McCall to spell him? Yeah, you know, I I don't know how to answer that question right now, Mike. Uh J.K. Dobbins' his first year was outstanding. Um, he did so much. I remember him against Indiana in the, the opener that season, uh, electrifying the country with his play. I think he had 188 yards rushing or something like that. And then last year kind of seemed to run timid. I think in most situations, you and I could have agreed we would have preferred Mike Weber to have been the guy. Uh, so I'm a little bit concerned with, with that. I think he's going to bounce back, but I think we do need to have, you know, a backfield where multiple guys can carry the football, and I think that means Master Teague spelling him in between the tackles for, you know, four to five carries a game, and then Demario McCall absolutely helping on the edge. Yeah, and I think last year J.K. Dobbins' mediocrity came down to the offensive line a lot. Uh, and also the fact that Dwayne Haskins is not the most mobile quarterback. So, you know, the read option doesn't exactly work when your quarterback runs a 5-2-40. But now with, with Fields and his versatility, I think the read option, you add a whole different element to the game. I know Ryan Day has kind of described his offense as a spread and pro style mixed together. So maybe we'll see more runs from under center for Dobbins. I think there are definitely a lot of question marks. Can his body take the hits? Of 20 to 25 carries, probably not, but I don't know if we're going to necessarily ask them of that. I feel much more comfortable with the running backs than I do the quarterbacks as a group in total. 
I'll give this one a B minus. We'll, we'll go with that. So, uh, yeah, I, that's what I think, I think of that, Nate. Um, what, what's your official grade for the run back? Uh, I'm, yeah, I think the B range is good. I'll, I'll say it's solid B, uh, for now. But tons of room for improvement. And hey, Mike, I don't want to get too much off track with recruiting, but it looks like the Buckeyes should be landing B. John Robinson, a five-star running back out of Arizona. That would be a huge, huge gift for this, this team and this program. Um, definitely feeling excited about that. So it looks like the program and the running back position is in good hands. Yeah, Paul, again, not going to touch too much on recruiting, but who would have thought that Arizona would be just like a haven for five-star stars for Ohio State? But uh, Jack Miller or or that running back, uh, we've certainly had some talent come out of Arizona recently. Man, you are right. I'm loving what Ryan Day is doing. With the the run or just with the recruiting as a whole this season, I mean the the lack of drop off that he has had to have his team at number two, number three in the nation, right there with Dabo Sweeney and with Nick Saban, can't say enough how impressive of a job that is. Oh yeah, we're, we're definitely going to have an off season podcast just worshiping Ryan Day for thirty minutes. Um, there's no doubt about that with the job that he's done. Uh, moving forward. So, uh, so let's talk about the receivers. This is going to be a little bit tough because we did lose Paris Campbell, Johnny Dixon, and Terry McLaurin to the NFL. So it's basically KJ Hill. He's going to be the number one for sure. And then, uh, what's Austin Mack going to do coming off of the injury? Can Benjamin Victor put together 12 good games? Can Chris Olave capitalize on his incredible performance against Michigan and Northwestern? Uh, you know, what, what do you think, what do you make of this position group, Nate? I, I love this position group. I'm I'm very excited to to see what happens. I've heard great things about Benjamin Victor this offseason. Again, like I said earlier, these guys have not been practicing, so there's there's little to actually back that. But it sounds like he's had a, a great offseason. We moved Austin Mack to the Z, so him and Ben Victor are both looking to start, and then you'll bring, you know, Olave, Garrett Wilson, and then Jalen Gill off the bench. I I don't think this group loses much, honestly. I think the big battle to watch is can Chris Olave or even Garrett Wilson unseat Austin Mack at that Z position? I think that's one of those classic battles, Mike, where Urban Meyer – would have always gone with experience. I'm interested to see what is what does Ryan Day do? He doesn't have quite the ties to these older senior players. Does he play the best player? Or does he stay loyal? I think he's going to play the best player. And well, look, I, I wouldn't be too upset with the wide receivers leaving because just like J.K. Dobbins was hampered by a poor offensive line, I think these receivers were really able to flourish because of Dwayne Haskins. And that was huge. But I think if you just think about raw talent, I don't think that Paris Campbell and Johnny Dixon are any more talented than Austin Mack and Benjamin Victor. Did they have the better quarterback? Yes. Did Were they more polished at running routes? Yes. But I think, especially with what we saw from Chris Olave at the end of last year, I think he's going to – I'm going to make a, make a call right now, Nate. I think Chris Olave is going to be first team all Big Ten. I think he's going to finish the year with over 1,000 yards, I think he's going to finish the year with 10 touchdowns, and I think he's going to beat Justin Fields 
favorite target when it's all said and done. How about that? Wow. Wow. Is he, so he will have more catches than K.J. Hill, you think? I don't think he's had more catches because K.J. Hill is, like, the king of the five-yard curl. Uh, but I think, like, pound for pound, like, I think we're going to see a situation where, uh, like, De- Devin Smith, when him and Mike Thomas were receivers opposite of each other, Mike Thomas was probably the reliable third-down guy, but Devin Smith was the guy who was averaging 20 yards a catch with the deep threat and really going over the top and taking the cover off of defenses. I think that's we're gonna that's gonna be the situation with Chris Olave. I think he's gonna have more yards. I think he's gonna have more yards to catch. I think he's gonna have more touchdowns. But I think KJ Hill is still gonna be the third down guy and still gonna end the year with more receptions. So that, I'm going out on the limb there. Okay, I like it. I like the boldness. I don't really have much to say about the tight ends, to be totally honest. Uh, Rashad Barry, Luke Farrell, Jake Hoffman. I feel like the Latin, obviously Jeremy Ruckert, but for the last like seven years since Urban Meyer came here, the tight ends have been pretty irrelevant, maybe with the exception of Nick Vanette in the championship game against Oregon. Uh, I guess, Nate, my question for you is, do you think that the tight ends are going to play more of a factor in the offense with Ryan Day versus what they were under Urban Meyer? I'll say, Mike, I think this group, I, I think they're very solid. Um, Jeremy Ruckert's great at catching the football, great at running routes. Rashad Berry, also very athletic. Luke Farrell, a very talented blocker. And so they do, between the three of them, they do all the things that a tight end needs to do. Uh, but you're right. I don't, I still don't think that this is a position group that's going to be featured you know, in, in any sort of limelight, and that's not because there's a lack of talent, but it's just that's what history shows at Ohio State. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think I, I give this group, honestly, an A. I think they're a talented group. I just don't think in terms of playmaking they're going to be asked to do much. Which really stinks. I, I feel like if, if Jeremy Ruckert, for example, because we know he's got a lot of talent, he's got great hands, if he can turn into a red zone target, I think that would be especially deadly. Because at Urban Meyer's peak with the tight end, they weren't exactly the most devastating uh, position group. But Nick Vanette, for example, at least like found his way in the red zone and did like finish that season with five or six touchdowns just to add an extra element. This team has struggled a little bit in the red zone over the last few years, so maybe that little bit of creativity, uh, can, that little bit of a wrinkle can, can make the offense that much more deadly uh, when it comes down to being in the other team's red zone. Definitely. Mike, I, I want to ask you, I think this is one of two position groups that is the most interesting to talk about this offseason. We're talking the offensive line. Uh, right now, who do you feel the five guys to start on this line are going to be? And, and hey, even give me, you know, what position they're going to be playing. I think the only one set in stone is probably Thayer Mumford. Yeah, so you're in, are you saying Thayer Mumford will probably be left tackle? Yeah. And again, it's hard. Just to recap, we did lose our both offensive tackles. And Michael Jordan, uh, was he a center? Was he a guard? We're not really sure. But he went to the, to the NFL. But we got the Rutgers transfer in, right? What was his name? Uh, jo- Jonah, Jonah Jackson. Jo- Jonah Jackson, yeah. So he'll probably slide in at one of the guard spots. I think that Josh Myers is going to be center. 
I'll say I know Brandon Bowen as a fifth-year senior might end up getting one of the spots by default. But here, I'll say Jonah Jackson, the left guard, Thayer Munford's left tackle. So you have two kind of established guys anchoring the left side of the line. Josh Myers will be center. Uh, Wyatt Davis, right guard, a guy, former five-star to California. And then another five-star, Nicholas Petit-Friere, uh, the redshirt freshman at right tackle. So I envision a situation where you have the more established guys on the left side working together. And on the right side, you're just kind of trying to it's – it's up to Greg Shredala. I can never say his name. But it's up to Coach S to kind of polish those guys out on the right side and get the best out of that raw talent. So – those are the five that I see. Do you disagree with any of those choices? I actually agree to a T. I think it's going to be the same five of the same positions. Um, I love Brandon Bowen. He, he started at left guard a couple of seasons ago and before he got hurt. He's also got the body of a tackle. Uh, so I think he's an invaluable guy to have, not just in case of injury, but in case someone on the line isn't playing well. You know, say Josh Myers is really struggling at center, can slide Jonah Jackson over to center and put Brandon Bowen there at left guard. Um, if Nicholas petit Frere is struggling at right tackle, we could pro- plug Brandon Bowen in there. Um, but I think for the sake of the future, um, we need to start petit Frere there at right tackle. And if you do that, man, Mike, say Thayer Mumford stays, this offensive line next season could be absolutely nasty. Yeah, because, well, Jonah Jackson's a grad transfer, right? So he'll be gone regardless. But, and, and so will Brandon Bowen. But we could potentially be looking at a situation where Myers, Mumford, Davis, and Petit Freire all return. So we return four out of five starters, which, which would be great, especially in a situation where, you know, our offensive line has kind of been in flux over the last few years. They haven't been great. But I think they're also going to benefit from having Justin Fields back there at quarterback because when you have a scrambling quarterback there, it can kind of be a double-edged sword. If they hold on to the ball too much, that's kind of like Deshaun Watson's problem in Houston. The number of sacks can kind of rack up. But at the same time, he can kind of bail out the offensive line and, and, and scramble and help them out a lot. So I, I think that we might see some, some tough sledding early on. But if we can keep those five guys together throughout the course of the year, uh, we could have a, a situation where it, it turns in from, from a weakness to a possible strength by the end of the year. So overall, I'm going to say B for these guys, because I, but I feel like the ceiling is an A and the floor is a C. So that's why I'm going with a B. Yeah, I mean, remember remember the 2014 line. You had Taylor Decker swing over from right tackle to left tackle. You had Bill, uh, uh, Pat Elfline who started a little bit the previous season, and then you had Billy Price, a freshman, uh, Chase Ferris, or no, I'm sorry, Daryl Baldwin at right tackle who had never started before, uh, and then Jacoby Bourne at center, a first-year starter. So that, that line was really young, too, but they really came together. So I'm excited to see uh, what exactly happens with this unit. Yeah, it, it, offensive line is not typically the flashiest thing to talk about, but I agree with you. It's it's one of the more interesting position battles and storylines moving forward. Hey, are you ready to flip over to the defensive side of the ball and, and, and talk about the silver bullets back there? I absolutely am. Let's do it. Before we get to the specific position groups, I want to ask you on defense, which player are you most excited to see this year? And in, in On the, de- on the defensive side or 
On the well, let's go offensive side first, and then and then we'll talk defense. Mm, I kind of spoiled mine already. Mine's mine's Alave, and I made that pretty clear, saying he's going to be first team All Big Ten. But I think I'm going to go receiver too. I'm going to actually say Garrett Wilson. I'm excited to see this wow. kid, uh, the highest highest rated receiver to ever come to Ohio State. He's a guy. He's not overly big. He's not the fastest guy either. But he runs really crisp routes. He's got big playability, and he goes up and gets the football despite his size. Uh, and so I think there's no way they're going to be able to keep him off the field this season. I think he, you know, it's, it's nothing crazy, but 25, 30 catches this year for four, four or 500 yards and some touchdowns, I, I definitely think is in the cards. He's also inheriting the number five, right? So he's following the footsteps of Braxton Miller and Raekwon McMillan. He sure is. That is correct. So what about on the defensive side of the ball? Who are you most excited to see other than big truck Robert Landers? I mean, that goes without saying. <laughs> I do I do love old BB Landers. I'm really excited for this unit all the way around. I think it would be easy to say a guy like Jeffrey Okuda or Chase Young, who are pro, both probably going to be top 10, top 15 NFL draft picks. Uh, but I'm going to go a little bit outside uh, of that, and I'm going to say Terhada Ter Mitchell, uh, middle linebacker. He's going to be a sophomore. He was the guy on punt team and uh, kickoff team last year who was routinely blowing up the other team's, you know, best player, uh, or, or blowing up the other team's wedge, I should say, not their best player. And so I'm excited to see what this kid's going to bring. I think he's going to end up beating out Tough Borland for that spot. I think it could kind of be a Curtis Grant, Raekwon McMillan type situation. But I, I think he plays with tenacity. I'm really excited to see him play. That's a pretty good one. Um, I I mean, I obviously am looking forward to seeing Damon Arnett in his 50 year uh, for Scarlet and Gray uh, give you an aneurysm on the podcast because we know that he is – your least favorite player on the team. Um, I'm actually going to say I'm looking forward to seeing what Tyreek Smith can do opposite of Chase Young because we saw early last year Chase Young benefit from being opposite of Nick Bosa. And I think Tyreek Smith, as we, you know, at this point, it looks like he's going to be the defensive end opposite Chase Young. I think he's going to draw a lot of single teams. I think he's very fast off the edge. I think he's going to be great. In, in especially in passing situations, he's explosive. Six four, two sixty seven. He could play defensive end or defensive tackle. We might see him in a rushman package where he kind of slides to defensive tackle on third and long. So I think the versatility that Tyreek Smith brings on defensive end, and that's a name that not a lot of people are excited about. But me personally, as a true sophomore starting on our defensive line, I think he's going to bring a lot to the table, and he could potentially be the new Chase Young. Wow. Wow, I like that. I, I think that's a great pick, Mike. Uh, also, shout-out to Jordan Fuller uh, coming back. He could have gone pro. He's going to come back and uh, and basically lock down our defensive secondary because I think without Jordan Fuller returning, our secondary would have been maybe not so much cornerback as Sean Wade and Jeffrey Okuda have experience, but I think our safeties would have been in shambles because we would have been left with Proctor, Amir Reap, Brendan White, uh, just Isaiah Pryor, Jason Lint, who – yeah, he did great in the spring game, but the safeties weren't totally proven, so very happy that Jordan Fuller came back. Yeah, uh, uh, he, he definitely, like, completely shored up the defense. 
and I think he's going to have a big year. But hey, let's talk about the defensive line. Who do you think is going to be starting in the defensive line? Uh, Chase Young, probably given Locke. Robert Landers, given Locke. But do you think any of the other two positions are up for grabs? I think, uh, I think it's definitely, like you said, Chase Young. I think we'll do the old Jonathan Cooper slash Tyreek Smith at the other, at the other end position. And then I think starting wise, you're going to have Phoebe Landers and Davon Hamilton in the middle. But I think really when it, when it comes to critical points in the football game, Mike, I think we're going to see Chase Young, Tyreek Smith, Teron Vincent, and Tommy Togiai. Um, wow. a bunch of sophomores and the junior there. I think those are the most talented guys on the team. Uh, and I think, you know, that, that Larry Johnson's really going to let those boys pin their ears back and see what they're made of. Yeah, I think it's probably going to be matchup dependent too, right? Because if they're playing like Wisconsin, I think you need a guy like Landers and Devon Hamilton to kind of plug up the middle. But if you're playing a team like Nebraska, who's a little more versatile and you need to chase down, um, they're, you know, they're, they're speedy receivers and, and quarterback. I think that you might see more of Teron Vincent and, um, you know, who knows? Maybe even Haskell Garrett too. So overall, this is, this is a position who, where we've been like incredibly deep over the last seven years under Urban Meyer. And I think it's more of the same. Also, Zach Harrison, don't forget about him. It, you know, he, there's always a chance that he might redshirt as a true freshman, but he might get some play time. I actually think this is an A+. Plus. Despite losing Bosa and despite losing Draymond Jones, I am very, 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 very positive about this position group specifically, and I think they're going to answer the call. Because last year, Ohio State had their lowest defensive rating according to the FBI under Urban Meyer, and I think that they're going to be hearing about that all off season. And, look, that's the first layer of the defense. Larry Johnson is going to be up in their ear telling them, this is up to you guys. You cannot allow five and a half yards per carry. And I think we're going to see a great effort out of these boys. Expect big things. Love it. Love the excitement, Mike. Let's move to the linebacking group. This, for me, you know, is our biggest issue a year ago, right? We can we can agree on that. Not only that, it's the position group with the least answers. Who's going to start at what position? We really have no idea. Uh, we return all three starters from a year ago. We had Pete Warner on the, on the strong side, uh, Malik Harrison on the weak side, and then, of course, um, Tuff Borland there in the middle. But we've got, like, talented guys like Baron Browning, Sir Hata Mitchell, Dallas Gant, um, pushing those guys. So, Mike, who do you think are going to be the three guys come the start of the season that are starting at linebacker at a, a, a program that is known for its linebacking play? I think that the mid – and this is this is really weird just because middle linebacker is typically, like, the captain of your defense, and typically you don't want, like, a – position by committee at middle linebacker. But I think depending on the matchup at middle linebacker, we're going to see either Baron Browning or Tough Borland. I think when we play a team that's going to be run-oriented, we're going to see a lot more Tough Borland on first and second down. And when we need a middle linebacker with speed that can chase guys down in the open field, I think we're going to see more Baron Browning. Uh, on the outside, I think we're going to have Malik Harrison. He's the one staple for me that I think is a lock at that position. And then I think I agree with what you were saying before. I think Sir Hanna Mitchell 
is going to work in there on the other outside linebacker spot because he does have an ability to chase guys down on the open field, blow up plays, and be that explosive outside linebacker similar to what Darren Lee was for us. I like it. I I think on paper, and again, this is not a guarantee for what the Buckeyes are going to do, but I think on paper you want the starting linebackers to be Malik Harrison, Baron Browning, and Terhada Mitchell. And I think that could be a group that's really, really, really good. Um, I've heard that Baron Browning is no longer working with the middle linebackers, so maybe he's going to get the shot that we've all been hoping he would get at the outside linebacker position. Uh, it's yet to be seen, but feel excited about that potential. I just I don't think Tuck Moreland or Pete Warner, even though I love them, are starting linebackers in Ohio State. No, they're they're fine as guys that can kind of come off the bench and, and do a good job, but I agree with you. I think that they're kind of like B-minus, C-plus guys, and, and we're really looking for B-plus, A-minus guys. And I think they're guys that I guess you don't really want to follow the stereotypes just because they're like white football players, but they really are just like hard working. But their ceiling is very limited by their athletic ability. Tough boy went through no fault of his own. He had the Achilles injury, so he's just kind of been a little slow since then. And Pete Werner, who I think sometimes he was just a little oversized, a little overmatched, and he had a tough time making tackles in the open field against pulling guards and, and tight ends. So I, I, I think some variation of Malik Harrison, Baron Browning, and Serhata Mitchell is probably our best recipe. Overall, I'll give this position group a B-. Don't feel as good about them as the defensive line, but still overall, by Ohio State standards, I think this is a – fairly adequate B-minus position group. I would agree with that B-minus. I think the other thing to think about, Mike, with the trends of college football today, we frequently reference, uh, you know, a 4-3 defense, a basic defense. This defense is going to be anything but normal. Um, I think we're going to have tons of looks where there's four down linemen, two linebackers, this quote-unquote bullet position played by Brandon White, which is a hybrid safety linebacker, three corners, and then, you know, uh, um, fuller on the back end. I, I think that's probably the most realistic look for most of the season. Yeah, that's true. I think we're going to go more – that's a really good point. I think we're going to go more of a nickel position, especially if fuller's a guy back there at free safety that you – I mean, I guess we might as well just talk about the defensive backs now. That was a pretty good segue. But he's a guy that you totally trust over the top to make the right decision and not get burned deep. So, therefore, you know, Brandon White can kind of slide into the box and shoot more on in terms of playing the run game. And that's the position that we saw Brandon White really thrive. And also, I think Jason Wint didn't really show too much, but apparently, by all reports, has had a pretty good offseason season. So it's going to be interesting to see how they mix and match this, especially with new defensive coaches, too. I mean, essentially, other than Larry Johnson, correct me if I'm wrong, Nate, the entire defensive coaching staff has basically been replaced. Yeah, that is correct. Jeff Halfley, Greg Madison, Al Washington, Matt Barnes, all new guys on this defensive staff. Um, I'm excited to see what Jeff Halfley does with this group. I think that 
very clearly the starting corners are going to be Jeff Okuda and Damon Arnett. I think – I can't believe I'm saying this, Mike, but Damon Arnett has the tools. He's got the quickness. He's got the ability. Maybe if he's coached well, he could be a first-round pick. I think Jeff Okuda is a no-brainer first-round pick. And then you're adding a Sean Wade in the nickel with Seven Banks and Tyreek Johnson who are ready to start waiting in the wings. This I, this group is loaded. Uh, they're loaded at the safety position as well. We are not have BBU for nothing. I think this group is an A+. Wow, really? I I don't feel that strongly about them. I, I think if it wasn't for like if Jordan Fuller left, I probably would have had them at like a C plus. Just because Damon Arnett really didn't show anything, and I think this is another situation where uh, similar to the receivers, like their ceiling is an A, but I could totally envision a scenario where Damon Arnett, as if it's not even possible, takes a step back. Jeffrey Okuda is our only functional cornerback. Uh, the, the safety opposite Jordan Fuller just consistently gets lost. So I, I think the, the floor for them is a C, unfortunately. So overall, I'm going to say a B. But I feel pretty good. I actually think I wouldn't be surprised if Sean Wade starts opposite Jeff Okuda and Damon Arnett just plays the nickel. Uh, but uh, you know, I guess I guess who really knows? Um, and and I guess with the new coaches, like uh, we just got to trust in them to kind of figure it out, right? And, and hopefully they can make some match these guys and, and put together a coherent defense. Because last year's defense was unacceptable and ultimately the reason why we didn't get in the playoffs. I want to kind of round out this podcast with a fun activity. I looked up draft. Can you tell me the two Ohio State players that are projected to go in the top two rounds next year? Two players projected to go in the top two rounds of next year's draft. Yep. I'm going to say it's Jeff Okuda and Chase Young. Chase Young is one of them, projected to go number three to the Bengals. And the second one's actually J.K. Dobbins. How about that? Second round pick at number 38. Jeff Okuda, uh, by all accounts, looks like a third to fourth round pick, according to this website. Just some, just who, a fun who, trivia who question. Who's J.K. going to? They said, they said the Bucks here, which I think that would kind of be, you know, for his career, uh, goes to die, unfortunately. Uh, I think the Bucks really agree too. Man, yeah, that would be a colossal bummer for him and also for Chase Young. I would hate to have to watch Chase Young play for the Bengals. That is, that, that makes me sad. Well, Nate, so what, I think we should wrap this podcast with one last topic. We talked about the offensive depth chart and the defensive depth chart. Gave the listeners a good 25, 30 minutes on that. But, you know, I was having this conversation with my friend, and I'm kind of overwhelming you on this now because – I did not view that this conversation was coming, but I was talking to my friend at dinner last night, basically saying, what has college football become? It seems like half of the major college football programs are starting a transfer at quarterback. Everyone's transferring, where whether it's Justin Fields, Jalen Hurts going to Oklahoma, Tate Martell is going to Miami. How do you feel about the transfers all across college football? Do you think it's ruining the game, or do you think it's totally within their right to do this? This is this really is becoming the hot button um, topic. I I think the grad transfer rule is good. I love how that works. Um, in terms of regular transfers and letting guys play, I, I 
the the NCAA has got to figure out some sort of formula for how they're going to determine when and when they won't, you know, let these guys play immediately. It seems like Justin Fields and Tate Martell had no problem, but there's other guys, James Hudson transferring from Michigan to Cincinnati due to mental health. There's a young man transferring from Georgia to Illinois at tight end uh, due to a sick relative, and it's very, very difficult. And so I, th- I think there has to be a better formula um, with that. And, and I also think – I think players need to be more loyal to their word. I, I heard a story earlier this week. There's a, a team in the MAC. I'm not sure what team, but they had five all-conference performers last year. They're all underclassmen, and they all transferred to bigger programs. Um, and I think that just kind of stinks. Uh, I, I feel for a program like Ball State, who is really excited about having five all-MAC players, and they're all gone now you know, playing at Indiana. And so I think something has to be figured out. I think it needs to be a little bit tougher to transfer, and I think the formula for playing immediately needs to change and be a little bit more strict. What do you think, Mike? No, I agree with that. I think that what is defined as a hardship is kind of ridiculous. Like, Tate Martell is going to get granted immediate, like, waiver to play at, at Miami, apparently, because uh, – there was a hardship because Urban Meyer left and, you know, Urban Meyer said that he could be the quarterback. Now Urban Meyer's not the quarterback anymore, so he's, you know, basically taking his ball and going home. And I don't want to be talking out of two sides of my mouth because I know that Justin Fields kind of basically did the same thing. And I'm not saying that it's right in Justin Fields' case whether, you know, apparently there was racism or whatever, and and who really knows. But essentially, like, you know, all these people – have had some minor hardship in their life over the course of two years on a campus, you know, whether it's, you know, someone called them a bad word, whether it's they, you know, broke up with their, their third cousin, got sick with something, or a coach left or whatever. And obviously you can find loopholes to get around the, around the rules. And I think that, you know, either the rules need to be better defined, as you said, and we need to, you need to say, like, the hardships only work in the case of a sick relative or in the case of, of a mental condition or, you know, a medical condition or, you know, don't or take the rules away and then it just becomes the wild west where you have to transfer. But, you know, I, I don't know. It's just like if you have to transfer another program, that's fine. But, like, what's wrong with sitting out a year? You know what I'm saying? Like, like, why just because Urban Meyer said that Tate Martell could play and now that he transfers to Miami, does that mean that he needs to play right away? Like, why can't he just wait a year? And I feel like we're kind of old school. Like, that, back in my day, you know, they weren't allowed to do this with our arguments, but I feel like it's totally reasonable. And I, I, I kind of don't like the trajectory of college football where, you know, backups aren't sitting and waiting it out and, and just kind of, like, going to any place they could. I don't know. It just leaves me with a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah, and I, I think too, Mike, you know, the, the often argument used for transfers is, well, if coaches can up and leave whenever they want, then players should be able to too. Um, and they can, they just can't play right away. <laughs> right. I say, yeah, I think that's overall just a flawed argument. That's not even how professional sports work. You make a commitment to a place, you know, guys, sure, got some guys sign a one year contract, but I think, I think there's something to be said about being committed to where you're at. Kawhi Leonard just signed a four-year deal with the Los Angeles Clippers, and so 
short of him getting traded, demanding a trade or something like that, he's going to be a Clipper for the next four years. And that's just how it is. That's just how it's going to be. And so I think we're, you're setting a dangerous precedence in this entitled culture that we live in to just be like, yeah, just transfer. Do whatever you need to do so you get on the field. I, I think you're right. It's creating a mess. I mean, I agree with that, too. Like, coaches – and that's the thing. Like, coaches really can't just get up and leave. Uh, I, mean, I mean, sure they can, but, like, then the other school that they're – like, a lot of these coaches have, like, exit clauses, right? So if hypothetically, like, Nick Saban were to leave Alabama – um, the, whoever is inheriting Nick Saban would have to pay off, like, pay off Alabama. And it, it obviously can't work that way with players because they're not getting paid to play. But no one is saying that they can't transfer. All we're saying is that if you do transfer, there's going to be a penalty because otherwise what's going to end up happening is that recruiting is going to extend to recruiting active players. In addition to trying to get high school players to come and play, you know, you're going to have Ryan Day and Jim Harbaugh Pac-12 schools going to an Oregon-Cal game trying to get, you know, Justin Herbert to transfer to come come to, you know, Michigan next year, which is which is kind of, like, ridiculous, and I don't think it should be the case, and, and I guess we, we're, we're aligned on this issue. That, that's a great point, Mike. And, and how do you monitor that? There's no way to monitor and protect from consistent recruiting years and years months and months after a guy's committed somewhere. If, if the NCAA and these colleges are committed to, to really making these good young men, you know, they all say that. I'm, I'm not concerned about winning football games. I'm concerned about producing good young men. Then they need to be men that are true to their word and have integrity. And so I think that's a real thing. Whether the NCAA does it, I don't know. But that, that's kind of my two cents on the, on the issue. Okay, I uh, I agree with that, Nate, 100%. I think that's good. Um, remember, if you have any questions, please tweet them at us, at Nuts for Bucks Pod. Please rate and review us on iTunes. Again, we apologize for the little bit of hiatus, but we're going to be back with weekly podcasts from now until the regular season starts on August 23rd or whatever the date is. I mean, we kick off with FAU on, on August 31st, but... We're gonna be uh, we're gonna be back in action the rest of the way and a lot of fun stuff and Nate I'm really looking forward to our recruiting podcast because a lot has happened on the recruiting trail since the last time we got to speak about it. Man, yes, I am. I am looking forward to that. Uh, and like Mike said, you can expect us really every week, at least once a week, uh, now until the end of football season. So. Like the the fellas are getting ready to report to camp here soon, Mike and I have officially reported to to podcast camp. If that's a thing, <laughs> yeah, two a days. I mean, we have been, we're currently on the phone for an hour and a half right now. So the, this is two a days right now. Uh, we've recorded two podcasts back to back, and I think my vocal cords need a rest. I'm gonna need to fire up an ice pack and a few Advil. I'm with you, man. Get in the ice bath. You know, maybe hit the the cryo chamber or whatever. Get get those muscles in.